0: Well, as we've said before, um, we're Ben and Shree. We're from Church of the Redeemer in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I know there's a lot of Church of the Redeemers, but we're the pro-Cathedral of the Diocese of Christ our Hope, Um, uh, Bishop Alan Hawkins Church, just to give you some reference. Um, So we thought today we would just give you a little bit of the history of Rwanda. Um, A little bit of history of us, since you guys don't know us, and then what our future together is in Rwanda. Um, Fortunately for you today, we're going to be doing the short version of the history of Rwanda, because it's pretty long. Um, So just as I said earlier, where is Rwanda? It's in Eastern Africa. It's the size of Maryland. The capital city is Kigali. That's where we'll be flying in from, into. And then we will be in Gahini. Um, Gahini has a lot of Name. So, Gahini, there's the diocese of Gahini, there's the region of Gahini, there's like the town of Gahini, but we're gonna be in the center of Gahini. Whatever you wanna call it, it's the center of that. And um, that's about two hours from the capital city. It's kind of remote, it's a little bit rural. Um, there are three people groups or tribes that live in Rwanda. There's the Twa, the Hutu, and the Tutsi. And
1: this is a picture of the last king. Before he was deposed, um, there is still a king living in exile, or someone who claims to have be in line for the throne, although he is not allowed back in the country. Um, the Twa, the Hutu, and the Tutsi were three tribes. Kind of, when the when the Europeans showed up, they saw these three. What they looked like three tribes or three groups of people, and they kind of took the European idea of like in England's history, there was the Britons, and then the Angles showed up, and then the Normans came over, and this kind of like this movement of tribes into the area, and they kind of took that idea and said, that must be what happened here. So the Twa were, um, they're piggies. Short, like piggies. piggies, Yeah, I don't know if that was the correct term. Anyway, they're, they've been, they're primitive, live out kind of up in the hills and more in the jungle areas. And so they just assumed that they were the earliest tribe there. The Hutu um, were the farmers. So the king of Rwanda divided up his kingdom into there was the warriors, there was the herdsmen, and there were the farmers. And the warriors kind of stopped being warriors when the Europeans took over. But the, they, they, they kind of saw the Hutu and the Tutsi as two separate tribes, which is not entirely true. But the Hutu were generally the farmers. And the Tutsi were the wealthier um, cattle owners. And they, because they were wealthier, they had the shops, and so the Europeans kind of assumed that they were the smart ones and kind of gave them all the jobs and education. And when the church came in, they were the target of evangelism, and they kind of assumed that if they evangelized the Tutsis, they would kind of take the gospel to the Hutu and the Twa, which didn't necessarily happen. The Germans were the first there, and then the Belgians took over um, after the world wars. And the Belgians were kind of notable because they introduced the ethnicity cards, which they actually specified they were Trois or Hutu. Um Tutsi. Or Tutsi. And so before that there was actually like you could save up enough money and get enough cattle and you could kind of like jump between the groups. Um, but after Belgians it became kind of they said this is ethnic, not cultural, and you are this is what you are. And again, they continued to have very much, the Tutsi got all the privileges because they assumed that they were the smarter group and the Hutu were kind of ignored.
0: Um, in the, this is messed up at the, the top, but in the 1920s, so 1930s, there was an East African revival and it started where we will be living, which is in Gahini. This is actually a picture of the monument that is standing there to tell people about that revival. But it started there. No specific event, but John Church was the CMS. CMS is, oh, I don't remember what it stands for, Church but it's basically the, right? yes, Church, so it's from the Anglican Church um, in England, and he was a missionary there, and um, he, his ministry started the East African Revival, and it started in Kenya, and it spread all over East Africa, and then Simeon, I can't say his last name, is the pastor from Rwanda who kind of spread it further into East Africa. Um, but that revival was kind of where the church grew, and it was just a really exciting time to be in in East Africa at that time.
1: Uh, 1959 was the first wave of genocide. The Tutsi started um, basically taking, the Hutu started taking revenge for the way that they felt they'd been treated by the Tutsi, and in 1959, they started attacking villages and burning them, and a the large... Number of people exited the country and fled to the surrounding country, countries, and um, so yeah, 150,000 Tutsi fled. And in 1962, um, the Republic of Rwanda was founded. And when that happened, because the Belgians' and political things started shifting, they kind of switched. So everything was going to the Tutsis, and then they were like, "No, we're going to make a free country here, and the Hutus get all the." jobs. And so there was a lot of this group against that group going on. So the Hutus then had all the power and were very um, mm-hmm. vengeful. And then in
0: 1994, um, there was civil unrest and then the president of Rwanda was killed in a plane crash. And. Um, this genocide just happened, and it was shot down on April 6th, and from April 6th to July, 800,000 people were killed in Rwanda. Mostly Tutsis, but also Hutus as the Tutsis were um, fighting back. Um, One of the things that we learned while we were in Rwanda, we got to go to the genocide memorial, is how big propaganda was at that time. So it wasn't just like, oh, switch, everybody's gonna kill your neighbor now. It was this, this propaganda that the government gave that said the Tutsis, they're just pigs and they're just unworthy they're not worthy of anything and they're just bad people and they're out to get you and, and it was just this constant propaganda so that when the president was killed and they basically, the, whatever started, it, it just went and everybody turned against their neighbors and we're not talking like, oh, this city against this city. It was like literally your neighbor Literally, your godparent was turning you into the government to be killed. It was very, very close interpersonal relationships, sometimes even within families, if there was intermarriages. And it was just really, really sad. And the thing that that stuck out to me was that these were just people, just like you and I, and it was propaganda, and it was an agenda, and it was a government, and then all of a sudden there was this huge genocide and all these people were killed. And so, lest we think we are above them, remember, all of us are susceptible to propaganda.
1: Um, After the genocide going, the French government kind of was complicit in it, which plays a role in their history now. But the Rwandan Patriotic Front (coughs) came back in Took over capital stop the genocide um the paul kagami became the president he is the president now um he has really done a lot to help bring about peace and reconciliation uh they he has kind of continued to extend his time in presidency to the point where people are kind of getting nervous of the fact that he may not want to give it up but um i think his last bid change the constitution so he could still be president was overturned by the courts so it looks like he's going to have to step down but um amongst his other reforms that he did he outlawed ethnicity so basically though it's not you, on any government form you can't say what tribe you're part of you're not supposed to speak about it if you if someone's if you're applying for a job and they ask you the person who asks you can get in trouble you are not allowed to discuss it because they said it has to be done on the basis of your merit or you know Yeah, so it's it's completely outlawed. Um, And they've done a lot um, to kind of enforce reconciliations, much as when they build new neighborhoods, requiring people from different tribes to move in and live beside each other and be neighbors, so.
0: So that brings us to Rwanda today. It is the safest country in Africa to visit right now for any foreigners, which is pretty amazing. The Tutsis and Hutus live side by side as we got to witness in, in May when we got to go. The economic growth is ex- exponential. Um, I, You'll hear in a second about my history, but I grew up in Haiti and it's a third world country and there's trash everywhere. In Rwanda, we saw zero trash. Like, and I mean zero trash anywhere we went. It was just amazing how they take care of their country and how they make it beautiful. Um, the church is growing, but it's struggling with a lot of the same things that we here in America struggle with. We already talked about the theological training, which is something that we fortunately do not struggle with but they're watching their children grow up and leave the church just like we do here in america islam is making big inroads into rwanda because they see it as very prosperous and a good place to to make money and so they're putting a lot of money into rwanda and so islam is also growing Um, but as we said there's a big need for theological training and then also discipleship of children which leads us into the history of us, (laughs) where it all began. Um, I'm from Pennsylvania. I was born in Gettysburg and lived in Hanover. Yes, it's the chip factory, chip capital of the world, Snyder's of Hanover. Um, I was homeschooled all the way through. I spent six years in Haiti as a missionary kid, and so that was a lot of my formation as far as Um, how I view the world and how I view the church and how I view people. Um, I gave my life to Christ at the age of four. I was part of a non-denominational church, didn't know what Anglican was at that point. Um, And then in uh, high school, I was at a missions conference, and I felt God tugging on my heart to give my life to missions. And so that's where I committed to going on the mission field.
1: I was born in Columbia, South Carolina. I went to a real school. Um, <laughs> me and my older sister would sit in, on the floor and we had identical Bibles and we would compare our Bibles to each other but she was better at reading than me so she always convinced me hers was better um, but during that time she went, she went through from John 3.16 she had learned at school um, how to share Christ with someone and so she led me to Christ sitting on the floor of her bedroom and while we went out, um, our family went out and went to visit JARS, which is Jungle Aviation and Radio Services. They do missionary pilots and fly into South America and take planes off the cliffs, and I thought that was really cool. Um, but that kind of got my interest in missions, and I, from the time I went there till eighth grade, I told everyone I wanted to be a missionary pilot, um, but got in different plans. And so yeah, and then I I said grew up around, grew up in around Greensboro, North Carolina.
0: So we met at Columbia International University in South Carolina. And when we met, we were both convinced that we were going to be going on the mission field. We both had an interest in Asia. And then as those four years progressed in college, we both got interested in China. And so um, we met, you can see at the bottom. That's what I looked like when he first noticed me. I was playing flag football and I had um, black lines under my thing. And he's like, "Oh, she's cute. I should go talk to her." And um, that's when he started pursuing me.
1: Clumsily. So then we got married. (laughs) And uh, I was better at sneering Kate than she was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I said, we were both interested in going to China. We tried several times. This is our oldest daughter, May, um, and over, when we first got married, we were told we shouldn't go to the mission field right now because we just got married, you just went through, you need to learn to live with each other before you try to do that in a different culture. And then we had May, and they were like, you should try to learn to live with your child before you do it in another culture. Um, And so after that, we ended up going and working at a children's home in North Carolina.
0: So when we went to the children's home, that's when we said, "Okay, we're going to stop trying to go to China. We've been trying for three years. God has shut all the doors. And obviously this is not what he wants for us, because when when we went to the children's home, it was in Falcon, North Carolina, which is in the middle of nowhere. And it um, it was very obvious that that is where God was leading us and where he wanted us to go. And so we said, "Okay, if you want us to go to China, we will go in your timing and we're not gonna try anymore. You're gonna have to bring this to us. So we um, we enjoyed being at the children's home. We were there for two and a half years. We had our second child, um, Connor.
1: Then Abigail.
0: <laughs> and during that time in 2014 we had Abigail but right before she was born in 2013 we moved back to Greensboro and that's when we um, became part of the Church of the Redeemer and joined the Anglican Church Um, so we had Abigail in 2014
1: and then in 2015 uh, one of the kids from our group home needed a place to stay Um, his name was Tyler at the time and uh, so he came and stayed and lived on our couch because we didn't have any other place for him, and uh, we had to move into a bigger home, and then within a couple of years, uh, we asked him if he wanted. If it would be okay if we adopted him, because he was old enough that he had to um, agree to it. And he, and so um, we adopted him. And when he did, he was looking. We were talking about children's names, and he looked up what Tyler meant, and it was somebody who lays tiles. And he decided he didn't want that to be his name anymore, so he changed his name to Gabriel, uh, which means man of God. So.
0: His adoption was in August of 2016, and on October 1st of 2016, we had twins, Michaela and Jonathan.
1: And then Shiloh. Um, yeah, so we decided to have a family, and we just dove right in.
0: <laughs> and because we can't do anything easy, Shiloh was born uh, one week, and the next week our son got married to Shadea. Um, And then uh, in the last two years, they have had two kids, or three years, they've had two kids. So we are actually grandparents as well, (laughs) just to make our our life really simple. Um, So, well, here you go.
1: Yeah, this brings us back to the question we asked, like, why would you want to pack up all your stuff um, and move to Rwanda? Um, And this is a picture of when we went to go. This is Bishop Manasseh, who is in charge over there.
0: So, when I met Bishop Anasa in November of 2020, no, yeah, 2021, um, he was talking to our youth pastor about starting a youth camp in Rwanda. And so I was pulled into that conversation. But in September of that year, we really started feeling like God had something new for us. And we didn't know what it was, we didn't know where it was, but we just started praying and asking the Lord, What is this next step that you're taking us into? Obviously, It's something new. It's something different. What is it? Uh, We figured out pretty quickly that it was going to be overseas, but it was not going to be China, which opens up, like, the whole world. And we're like, okay, Lord, so where do you want us to go? Um, And we just prayed. We didn't talk to anybody. We just asked the Lord, please show us what this next step is. And then I got put in this meeting with Bishop Manasseh, and I felt compelled to tell him our story and told him what we were praying about. And he said, you should come to Rwanda and work with us. And I said, okay. He's like, we have a house for you. I was like... Okay. Um, And sure enough, he does have a house for us. But uh, we started praying and asking the Lord, okay, is this what you have for us? Is Rwanda what it is? Because neither one of us had ever thought about going to Africa, had no desire to go to Africa, um, but we were open. And so we said, Lord, is this what you're asking us to do? And then in December, we met with um, Bishop Allen, and uh, he filled up this whole entire Whiteboard of ideas of things that we could do. And we said, okay, Alan, you know us. You know the Rwanda because our church has a 10-year partnership with Rwanda. You know, what do you think about us going to be missionaries in Rwanda? He said, that would be an answer to prayer. I really think you should go. I think it would be a great fit for your family. And then he filled up this whiteboard of all the things that we could possibly be involved in in Rwanda, which leads us to the question of what will we be doing over there? since we can't do all those.
1: Yeah. Um, our first year we'll be learning the language and culture. Um, it's a completely different language. Um, and then so and then just kind of doing survey work, finding out where the churches are, what their needs are, and so forth. So that'll be the first year probably. Um, we'll be working at the Diocese of Gahini. This is their office in Gahini within um, walking distance of the main church and also the hospital compound where we'll be staying. And then was this Kamate. Mm-hmm. So this is a Kamate um, Parish. We, friends of Bikini helped build, I believe, that school. Um, while we were there, uh, just to kind of, when the story I told earlier about um, meeting with seeing all the kids, the same kind of theme. We went to multiple churches that day, and the same sort of event happened. And at Kamate, um, after the kids sang us a song, we went over and sat with the leaders of the church, and. Um, we're sitting in a circle, and they told us about kind of their attempts to outreach to their community around them and what their needs were. And then when they got done, one of the um, Rwandan pastors stood up and asked the church leaders, like, "Who here would like to get saved?" And I was thinking, hopefully that had been like, resolved earlier. Um, but they, two guys raised their hands. And somebody went to go get them a rug so that they could kneel on it. And while he was getting the rug, our translator explained that one of these men had drank alcohol the past week. Another one had smoked a cigarette the past week. And so they were going to get saved again. Um, And Dan was with us, and they asked him again to, he was always the one who's getting asked to pray for whoever needed prayer. And so when they brought the rug back, two men knelt down on the ground on the rug, and Dan got up to pray for them, and the Iranian pastor put his hand on Dan's shoulder and said, this man of God is going to pray for you, and if you ever drink or smoke again, you are going to die. And Dan's eyes kind of got wider, and he leaned over to me, and he goes, I don't think I'm going to pray for that. Um, and he just kind of prayed that they would understand the love of God and that Christ separates their sins as far as the east is from the west so um, but yeah we'll be uh, this is, we'll be partnering with churches over here, with different churches over there and I don't remember which archdeaconry um,
2: Nagatari
1: that you guys are partnered with and so we'll be helping facilitate that relationship and then go into the next one and then theological training and this is a picture of Dan praying for the kids who are all on their knees um, getting saved, I guess.
0: Another big piece of the puzzle of what we'll be doing is we'll be homeschooling our six children. Um, That will be a big part of what I'm doing, especially in the mornings, um, which is what I'm already doing. So uh, our children will have a big part in our ministry as well, um, and we want them to be a part of it, but we also will be taking care of their education. Um, another part that we'll be doing is hosting teams. So this is where you guys come in because you do have the Sister Church Partnership. And we really encourage you guys to come and visit and meet your sister church and to build those relationships. Because we have experienced in Church of the Redeemer that when you have an ongoing relationship with a specific church, the amount of ministry and outreach and lives that are changed just kind of multiplies because you are being intentional in that one place. And so we just encourage you, your partnership started, I think in 2019 and um, didn't really get off the ground because of 2020. And so we just encourage you to come. Uh, we're really excited that Father Nick is coming in April and he's going to get to meet the archdeacon and to um, meet with Bishop Manasseh and hear more of their hearts, but we just encourage you to come because that is going to be one of our main roles is to be the bridge between the churches in the U.S. and the churches in um, Rwanda. There are six six archdeaconries over there and five of them um, have sister churches. We're still looking for our last church here in the U.S. that's going to be coming on to that partnership. But there are five churches here in the U.S. that are already partnered or starting their partnership this year. Um, so we would love to see you. And just, there's our house. He did, he was right. There was a house and we got to see it in May and it'll work for our family. And so we want you to come and visit us. Um, oh,
1: so yeah, this is um, just how can uh
0: well before we, we do that us. any questions
1: oh yeah do you have any questions so far
0: yeah anyone have questions
1: I, I noticed with the
2: um uh, praying praying for the children i saw mostly if not
1: all boys are mm-hmm. they are the girls involved too in, in that or yeah they, they just separate them for yeah no they, they were boys and girls there okay. so um
0: it's 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 hard to tell the boys and girls apart because at that age, they all shake their heads. So it's hard to tell them apart. Any other questions?
2: So with um, that kind of legalistic uh, theology, if you would call it, um, it sounds like it will be very um, sensitive to kind of um,
1: we
0: praise them uh, yeah. yeah Yeah. I think for us what we saw with that is that how important theological training is and so that's something that Church of the Redeemer has focused on when they have done their trips over there is to try to have like a week long intensive the government is actually requiring pastors to have theological training which is awesome it's hard because like when you have churches out in the middle of the boonies that don't have access to electricity it's hard to even imagine them and some of them have an eighth-grade education. Imagine them going to seminary, but there is an Anglican seminary now in Kigali. It's two hours away from Gahini. So that's one of the things that we're going to be working on. How do we help these pastors get the theological training that they need? Because it really is, it needs to start with the pastors. right? It needs to kind of work its way down. One thing that we didn't really mention is that we have 14 years of working with children and youth in different forms and variety of ways in churches. I was the children's ministry director at Church of the Redeemer for six and a half years. And so um, that kind of puts the children on our hearts. And so that's something that we're going to really focus on once we get there, of seeing what they do to disciple their children and how we can come alongside them. Any other questions?
1: Just as far as just theological training, one thing we noticed is just that Bible, Bibles are expensive over there. So the adults um, can get the Bible on their smartphones, but as far as like, children are concerned that don't have smartphones yet, um, they don't have Bibles, and so they are just without the Word of God outside of what they hear. Um, I, when I got back to the U.S., I tried to buy a, a Rwandan Bible, and it was to get it here, which may be a little bit more expensive than it is in Rwanda, but it was 80 U.S. dollars. Um, which was more than I wanted to spend on the Bible right now. So um, I can imagine if you were a subsistence peanut farmer that getting that shipped in would not be high on your priorities. So. What,
2: what is the basic religious of the mm. population?
0: Yeah, so we forgot to say that. So over 80% of the population says that they're Christian. Now that's like every part of Christianity that you can imagine. But over 80 percent, which is why when we first were looking at Rwanda, we were like, so why did they need missionaries again? Like, why are we going there? Why do they need help? But that's when we realized, even though they say that they're Christians, they may have been told you are now a Christian. And so Christianity in not just Rwanda in East Africa is is described as a mile wide, but only an inch deep. And so we want to change the inch deep. We want them to go deeper.
2: Isn't, isn't there an like, amount of
1: false there? I mean, yeah. is there. Yeah, about, about over half of the Christian population before the genocide considered themselves Catholic. Um, the Catholic Church was more than complicit in the genocide. Um, there's multiple stories of the pastors just like when the genocide started happening, congregations ran to their churches and locked themselves in. And like one of the Catholic churches, they. Um, they went and got the pastor, and they said they locked themselves in the door. And he said, "Bulldoze it. We can build another church." And so they bulldozed the, the church with half the congregation inside of it. Um, and there were other places where the pastors unlocked the doors to let people in to kill them. There were people that had locked some people in, but when they came, they were like, "Well, who do you specifically do you want?" And they would turn over members of their congregation to try to keep them from coming in, just killing indiscriminately. But over the course of time, they just kept coming back until they emptied the congregations of whatever the other tribalists, and so, um, yeah, the Catholic Church has hit, taken a, a hit, and because of that, a lot of them have left and are leaving and are joining other churches, so a lot of the the Anglican Church is now pretty big, but a lot of those is influx from the Roman Catholic Church, and that's also why Islam, um, kind of, one of their strategies is, when the church has failed, there's ground for alternatives, and so... Um, yeah, they, they have pushed in there because of the failings of the church. But it, it was around half the Christian population was Catholic, and that's dropping. Um, but there's still a significant portion of it.
2: So do they have uh, schools then? I mean, because that's Catholic the Yeah.
1: Kids? When we were there driving around, most of the churches, all the Anglican churches we stopped at had a school. And if what it looked as if the Catholic churches that we passed also had schools. So yes, there are... Um, The government kind of monitors all the schools, but most of the schools over there that we saw were run by a church um, in some capacity.
0: Questions, last questions? Going once, going twice? Okay, so how can you guys partner with us? Um, The good news is is you already are because you guys are part of the Friends of Kahini partnership. You guys are one of our supporting churches, which is why it was very important for us to come and visit you before we go. We are planning to leave in March. We are like 75% ready to go. We're selling our house and packing our bags. So we're very excited in the final stretch. Um, But right now we're looking for partners. We still need partners before we can go. Uh, We're looking specifically for prayer partners. So there's two things that we would ask you to pray for is our family as we prepare to go, and then the church in Rwanda to grow deeper. And that's really our heart for the church in Rwanda. And then um, for us, as we go, we also need financial partners because we are going to be fully supported on um, through partnerships. And so we're looking for monthly partners uh, we, right now we're looking for seven more people or families to come on at $100 a month and eight more people to come on at $50 a month if you are able to do that or you feel led to joining us in partnership with that. We also need one-time gifts to get us on the field. And like I said, we're about 75% with both of those goals. We're very excited um, of how God has been doing. We have response cards um, here that you guys can fill out. Um, Do you want to pass these out, actually? Just kind of hand them. Sure. And then there's pens if people need them. Um, But we really would encourage every single one of you to fill one out and just check that you want to get our newsletter because we're going to be sending you guys updates about your sister church. And that's going to be really, really important. One of the things that we found with Church of the Redeemer is that everybody knows that we are partnered with Redeemer, but when it comes to actually, like, knowing how to pray for your sister church, what is going on on the field, not many people at Redeemer could tell you what is actually going on in Yahini because there's not a lot of communication coming out of there. And so that's one of our main roles will be to communicate that. So we want you guys to get our newsletter to stay in touch with us. We will be coming back every two and a half to three years. And because you're one of our sending churches, part of the Friends of Kahini, we will be back every three years, hopefully, Lord willing, to visit you guys. Um, But we would just love for you guys to partner with us even more and to be a part of what God is doing in Rwanda. Um, Thank you guys so much for coming and for staying afterward. Uh, We really do appreciate this opportunity to share with you what God is doing in our lives and in Rwanda. So that's all.
2: Let me pray for you guys. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we lift up the Weber family to you. We know that you are caring for them. We ask you to continue to um, surround them with your love and support. Um, Help them to know that they are in your hands. Um, We do ask that you would enable them to raise the support that they need um, through this church and others. That They would um, not have that worry as they set out to do your work in Rwanda. We pray that the field they find there would be fruitful. You would show them where to go, um, whom they should partner with, give them the words to say, the prayers to pray, the songs to sing. We ask that you would be in in the leadership role of their work. Um, We ask that you would, bless their work there and ours here, and that in our partnership, Um, We would be uh, fruitful workers in your vineyard. We do pray for them also as they leave this afternoon and head home. Pray that they would be safe on the road, that they would arrive home safely. Uh, We do lift them up, and each one of us, as we leave this place this afternoon, that we would walk in your grace and peace and comfort until we come together again. Pray this in your Son, Christ's name.